Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Jason. And I'm Jimmy. Full Metal Pop is what you're listening to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Jimmy, how was your weekend? My weekend was semi-eventful. I got to put out a dumpster fire yesterday, which is Saturday. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but on Saturday I got to put out a dumpster fire, which is something I never thought I'd be doing. A literal dumpster fire or just like when people say, oh, that was such a dumpster fire, like uh, the figurative type. It was a literal dumpster fire. I was walking past and this guy was filling up this cooler with water and running back and forth from the dumpster. And then I looked at where he was dumping it and I could see it wasn't huge flames. So, I mean, it was embers and there was a fire in there. And he was by himself running back and forth trying to put this fire out. So I was like, do you need help? And of course he said yes. So he was filling the bucket up and I was running to the dumpster throwing it in. There was smoke everywhere. It it was it was exciting. Wow. Do you know what caused the fire? Was like his mistake and he was trying to pick it up or clean it up? Or did he just stumble upon a fire and like, oh no, I need to take this take this down or what how do you know how did it happen he said that he saw someone throw something away and then walk away and then the fire started so but i i caught him mid trying to put it out so i don't know who what happened but i mean i got to help put out a fire so that's pretty cool yay well at least to put it out and it didn't spread to become something more dangerous and it's kind of like a semi-superhero moment, if you will. So that's nice. Yeah, I, I was worried that it was going to pick up flame. Because you never know what's inside a dumpster. Like, What is something in there that was like, extremely flammable? And the small fire just made it worse. So, But it was exciting. Didn't think I was going to be doing that on, on Saturday. Yeah, it's almost like the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The grease fires... Where you think, um, oh, well, it's a fire. So naturally, if I just spray water on it or something, it'll go out. But that just makes it worse. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, think about all different kinds of types of fires and what needs to be put on what. And I worry about that because I do cook in a kitchen for a living. And if a grease fire did start, I hope I have the mindset to stop for a second and then realize what's going on. Because... You know, if you're in the moment, you, you would just probably go to the sink or try to grab some water and then just make it way worse. Mm-hmm. I've never dealt with a grease fire, but I was watching an episode of, what was it? Um, Mythbusters a few years ago where they kind of tried to show that, yeah, grease fires were actually dangerous and they poured water on one and it just exploded, essentially. Oh man, how cool would it be to work on Mythbusters? Is it are they still making new episodes? I know it's not the same cast, but uh, I, thought I thought I thought they stopped completely. I'd have to look it up because I could have sworn that like for, for a while they got rid of everybody except for uh, Adam and Jamie, but then I think even after that they wound up uh, just canceling the show and I think Adam's doing like a podcast or it's a Netflix show, I can't remember what um, and then the other guy, like, I don't even know what he's up to, to be honest. Hmm. Maybe we need to do Mythbusters, like, 
an audio Mythbusters. We can do like very low rent like myths and bust them podcast form. I know I throw out a podcast idea every episode. So this is the one. 2021, watch out for our audio myth busting. Yeah, that, well, I wonder how that would work. Probably someone could figure something out. Uh, looks like... I think that they are done. Like, I don't think the show's going anymore. Oh, hey, I didn't realize... Oh, perfect. I don't know why I didn't notice this. The uh, show, like, I'm living right kind of in the area where the show was originally filmed in the, the San Francisco Bay area. Wow. That's interesting. I know you weren't living there during that time, but do you remember that episode where they, they like shot a cannonball and it hit someone's car? Cause it went so far. I, I believe that's what the story was. I don't, I was never like a huge, um, huge fan of the show. I watched it on and off, but it wasn't like uh, something that I would sit in front of TV every new episode to catch. So I did not catch that one. Uh, most of the time when I'm watching Mythbusters, it's like when they're doing 12 hour marathons and, and I'm just like, well, this is what I'm doing today. Uh, I remember doing something like that with the Jeffersons when I was in college, they had like a labor day Jeffersons thing on TV land for like three days straight. So I just kind of binged through it. That's always fun. Whenever there's a nice marathon and you have nothing else to do. Oh, yeah. I love a marathon. Uh, give me a Law & Order SVU marathon any day, and I'm, like, in paradise. I think recently, aside from this podcast of watching Full Metal Alchemist, I think a while ago, maybe, yeah, about, like, two weeks ago, I went through all the King of the Hill episodes. Oh, oh man. I wanted to say a quote, but I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, was it? Oh, it's when Bobby says, like, that's my purse or something like that. Have you seen that episode? Yeah, that's my purse. I don't know you. Yep. Yes, I love that episode so much. When I have children, that's the self-defense lesson I'm going to give them. Yeah, I, I was always, just as a person who grew up in Texas and everything, that was just always one of my favorite shows. And there's just so many subtle hints in there uh, that you kind of have to be Texan in order to get the joke, like Luann's name being Luann Platter and whatnot. So, like, just a lot, little small jokes that if you're Texan, you understand it. But if you're not, you probably wouldn't. Uh, but, yeah, I always liked it. And every, it seems like every other year or something, a, a rumor comes of them reviving it. Or somebody approached Mike Judge to see if he would revive it or something like that. Of course, it always is a rumor. And I'm actually, I'm actually uh, in favor of them not reviving it. Because I think it's going to be, it'd be one of those things where I feel like they would try to revive it and it wind up not being as good as we remembered. See, yeah, I'm with you. I don't want a revival of King of the Hill. I think it ended really great. And um, Luann's voice actress was uh, Brittany Murphy, I believe. and She's no longer with us. So I don't want to really want them to replace her. Yeah, Tom Petty's gone too. Oh, oh man, you're right. But I wouldn't mind seeing what Bobby is like today. Uh, as he As he grows up, what what adult is Bobby? I might I might be interested in that. I feel like he's an improv co like comic. Probably, um, I would like. It would be interesting if like instead of they just picked it up where they left off. If they allowed when to go off the air like two thousand nine. So if they allowed eleven years to pass and it was just like where everybody is today, kind of thing. That would that'd be an interesting pickup. Yeah, I would love to love to see 
Yeah, just I guess where Bobby's at right now. Hank, I feel like Hank would have owned his own propane store by now. I'd hope so. I'd hope like Buck would give it to him, and I don't know what I expect for the other characters. Maybe Bill finally finds a woman. I don't know. I hope Bill marries someone who's like identical to Peggy in a sense. I feel like that that would be some hilarity in there. Connie makes it to Stanford or something. Oh man, King of the Hill is so great. I feel like it was a underrated show while it was on air because it was competing with like Simpsons and Family Guy at the time. I believe. yes. So, but uh, I don't know if it's just from us being like Texans, but King of the Hills has a really special place in my heart. Same here. It's always has fond memories for me. I've never, I, I like anytime I think about growing up and watching it and then watching it as adult and whatnot, it's just always positive memories. Like I never have any negative thoughts about it. It's just like, yeah, this was a great experience. I love that show. Oh yeah, man. Now, now I feel like I'm, I want to go watch some. King of the it's Hill. It's on Hulu. Yeah, King of the Hill podcast, twenty twenty one. Possibly, yeah. I'm, I'm actually all for that if we if, after we're done with this one. All right, guys, you hear it here first. Eighth podcast idea, King of the Hill. Exactly. Though I, I wonder if the one exists. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But that would definitely be. Awesome. Oh, no one steal that idea. Let's let's edit that out. <laughs> All right. Well, when, now that we're on the subject of the podcast, let's jump right into it then. All right. So let's see. We have two episodes this time around. Well, always, but it's a little different because one episode's a regular episode. The other one's a recap. So we'll do the second episode a little differently than the previous ones. Uh, but yeah, let's jump right into it. So episode 26, or that would be episode 13 of the second season, it's called Reunion. Ling and Ed are clearly outmatched as they are fighting Envy. Ling manages to get a hit on Envy, but of course that didn't last well, or that didn't last long, uh, as Envy can heal and he is much larger and able to knock Ling back. Ed prepares to strike, but one of the souls looks Ed dead in the eye and begs him to kill him. And then the face kind of turns into a maniacal face, like another head comes out of that guy's mouth. It's really weird. And Ed's just kind of losing it a little bit, hearing all the groans from everybody. Ling strikes that head in in the head with a sword and pulls Ed away and tries to get him to snap out of it. But Ed's just like, hey, these souls, they, they need our help. They're trapped. And Ling's saying, no, this is all a trick. Those are monsters. Those aren't people, anything like that. Uh, Ed's just kind of out of it at this point because he hears all the voices whining. He hears somebody saying Big Brother, and it reminds him of uh, of Nina. And this gives Envy the, atta- the chance to attack Ed because Ed is not paying attention. Knocking Ed on his back, out of the corner of his eye, Ed notices a stone tablet and Ed just pretty much submits to his fate, and Envy's tongue picks him up and proceeds to bring Ed into his mouth and eat him. So we jump to Mei Chang, who is in Central searching for Xiao Mei. She comes up to a construction worker and shows him a picture, and she's like, yeah, I think I saw that cat running around with this guy in a suit of armor. Mei realizes that, oh, it was that guy that we fought earlier. He has 
uh, he has uh, Xiao Mei, so let's go find him. They stumble upon him, but then they realize, oh, he's following a homunculus. He's following Gluttony. So Scar stops her and lets her know, hey, this isn't this isn't going to be a normal battle. Uh, these things are effectively immortal, so it's not easy to kill. So, of course, pointing out that it's immortal only makes May more interested because she's trying to find the secret to immortality. So she just runs in. But then as she gets closer to, like, this door that seems to go into some underground tunnel, she starts to get a little weary because she says, oh, this is a... I just have a weird feeling about it. There's just some weird, dark feeling. So then we jump back to uh, Al, who is following Gluttony as they go through these tunnels. And they find a bunch of human bones, and it scares Al, as you would expect it to. And Gluttony says, oh, you know, that's just the gatekeepers did that. But don't worry. If you if you stay with me, they won't bother you. You know, they look up, and they see all these red eyes glowing. So Gluttony assures him that they are getting closer and closer to their father. And Al, just in his head, says, okay, Ed, just hang on. So we jump back to Ed, who is in Envy's mouth. Ed looks over, and he notices Envy's Philosopher's Stone. Then he starts to remember the stone tablet or the stone mural that he saw back in Xerxes, and then the pieces of stone tablet that he saw just now in the gluttony's stomach. And he comes to a realization, and he kicks out Envy's teeth and and says that he has an idea of how to get out of gluttony's stomach and get back to the real world. We jump back to Central, and the gatekeepers are attacking Scar and May. Scar and May are actually able to handle their own just well, despite being seriously outnumbered. The uh, gatekeepers are actually just very bestial chimera. So unlike the chimera we saw with greed in the earlier episodes that were human with animal traits, kind of, these ones were just purely animalistic. So you had like a Cerberus looking animal and some other beast looking animals, but they were able to hold their own, even though they were outnumbered. And they just keep their way down the tunnel until they can find something. And we jump to Gluttony as he explains uh, that Father created all the all the homunculi and Father will have an answer. We jump to Wrath and Mustang. And Wrath is kind of going through a flashback. And he's kind of explaining his origin. He grew up an orphan. He has no memories of what his real name was, what his life was before he was found by the government. Uh, he has just no memory of his past at all. And he was brought into what was essentially a government program, a secret government program, I must say, where he and a bunch of other, uh, I guess, orphans, they never really say what the happens, what the status of the other people were, but uh, understandably, I'm guessing their orphans were trained day in and day out on government, on humanities, on swordsmanship, all of that in order to find the next prospective person to become the Fuhrer. Now, they went on to uh, show how Wrath went from just being a nameless person in this program to being the Fuhrer. Uh, Wrath mentioned that he was just very dedicated and headstrong about wanting to become the uh, next Fuhrer. So now... Their uh, wrath is taken into a, a laboratory to do this experiment. Uh, we see a person go in before him, and it, 
presumably die from the experiment. And basically what they do is they will inject a philosopher's stone into the bloodstream of a living human. And once that happens, the stone will essentially try to take over the body of the host. But then, of course, that host body is going to fight back. And this results in the body being torn apart and rebuilt over and over and over again. Uh, most people do not survive this process. Every person who went in before Wrath died from this process. And Wrath mentioned he only had one of two choices, either succumb to it or fight it. And he chose to fight it. He says that when it was all done, only one of the souls of the Philosopher's Stone survived, the most wrathful one, which is where he gets his name, Wrath. And he says he's not even sure if the soul that he has now is his original one or one from the stone, and he says he probably will never know. Uh, this made Wrath a homunculus effectively. We now see that his eye changed from being a normal eye to having the Ouroboros tattoo. And Mustang asks if he would like to be human again. And Wrath says he doesn't care. I mean, he sees humans as being weaker, so why would he go backwards? But at the same time, he takes pride in being a homunculus as much as any human takes pride in being a human. So we go back to this weird world. Envy collects all the pieces of stone that he can find. And it turns out these missing pieces are part of a more the same mural that Ed saw in Xerxes. This mural was actually a type of transmutation circle for transmutation, uh, human transmutation, I should say. Ed acknowledges that he can't transmute the dead because, you know, he has personal experience with that. But was curious what would happen if he tried to transmute the living. So he's thinking, well, maybe I can use a circle to deconstruct him, myself and then put myself back together. And that would effectively be human transmutation. And because he did human transmutation, he would then open the gate. He thinks that if they go through the real gate of truth, it would take them back to reality. Ed then asks Envy about the circle. Ed notices that it loosely translates to, I'll strike down God to earth and become a perfect being. And then he also realizes there's something about the philosopher's stone being created and everything. So Ed kind of pieces it all together. The monkey I used the transmutation circle to sacrifice all the people of Xerxes and turn them into a philosopher's stone for some reason. And Gluttony swallowed the mural to cover it up. Ed starts to think, well, whoever did this to Xerxes must be trying to do the same thing to his mistress, and he's trying to get Envy to tell him what happened. Envy says, yeah, if you get me out of all this, I'll tell you everything you need to know. Then Envy's getting a little upset because he's just like, hey, are you going to just ask me now, you know, I know that you need to pay a toll to open the portal and you need a stone. So Envy offers part of his stone. Ed asks if the bodies attached to Envy's body are the citizens of Xerxes. And Envy says, yeah, at one point they were, but their minds have pretty much deteriorated at this point. And he doubts that these souls even remember who they once were. Ed naturally gets upset. Envy then mocks Ed. Envy thinks that souls are just energy. Envy thinks that Ed only wants to see the souls as being human because then that would mean Al is human. Envy states that at this point, they're just useless resources. Would you hesitate to throw a log on a fire because you pity the tree it came from? Uh, these humans can never return to what they are, so they might as well be used as en energy. Naturally, Ed disagrees, but he kind of relents. Ed asks Ling to warn everyone 
of what the homuncular are up to in case this fails and he's not able to escape. And Ling says he won't do that. Ed needs people back alive, so Ed better make it out alive. Ed apologizes to the soul, but he also thanks them. And then he opens the portal and they go through. Truth shows up and mocks Ed for not even trying to get his body back. We then see Ed wind up in that empty void that we saw in the earlier episode when he was a kid and he first did the human transmutation. He, uh, you know, he sees his gate, but then he turns around and he sees another gate behind him. And in front of that gate, he sees Al's body. It's emaciated, but it's still alive. Ed runs towards the body, but then his gate opens and the hands come out and pull him away. Al says, you know, sorry, I can only go back with my own soul. Ed's pulled through the gate, gate closes, but then Ed bursts through the gate and he makes a promise to Alphonse that one day he will come back and get the body. He promises, just you wait. Uh, and that ends the episode and that season for that matter. So what are your thoughts so far, Jimmy? There is a lot in this episode to end, which is ending this season. It was my main thought is, Al's body is is there. Like, his body's there. And I don't want to jump to the end of the episode at the beginning, but they're kind of right. Al's body is losing its nutrients. Or he's very skinny in, in where truth is, in that little doorway area. But his body is there. It is. It is there. And that, that's the first actual confirmation we got that his body is around and is and is effectively fine. Like, it's emaciated, obviously, but aside from being super skinny, it's not like we don't see any sign of it rotting or anything. I wonder if this is going to light, like, I know there's been a lot of things that have, like, lit the fire for the brothers, but I wonder if Ed seeing Al's body... And if he realizes kind of what state Al's body is in, because when Al's body went in there, he wasn't this super thin kid. You know, he wasn't like chubby, but he wasn't emaciated. Like he wasn't like that thin. Maybe Al's or sorry, Ed seeing Al's body and and what state it is is gonna push them a little harder to be like we we are on a timer to get your body back. It's not gonna be there forever. Yeah, and the other thing I noticed, too, was that, you know, when Al's body was taken in there, he was a child, and the body definitely looks more teenager-ish nowadays. Like, you can kind of see that he, he's, when he stands up, you can kind of see that he's taller than he was. So, he, he's even taller than Ed, so. Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, he is growing, or he is aging in there it's just it doesn't seem like he's getting all his vitamins true well maybe that theory is correct about how ed's body is somehow connected to his and is giving him some kind of nutrition to where he doesn't rot but not enough to where he survives don't you wish that al's body that al's body would have been like drink some more milk ed before he left that would actually be funny if he did, like, as he's going through the gate, he just yells, by the way, you should be drinking your milk. Yeah, I mean, maybe if Ed drank more milk, and if they are sharing nutrients, you know, it helps 
helps a growing kid grow and you know al's a growing kid in there yeah and but at least we know that he's alive and that his body is there and i think yeah this is definitely going to drive them forward knowing that it is i think this also confirms to them that it is possible to bring the body back because he went through the gate he saw the body and the body said i can only leave with my own soul but the body didn't say like i'm stuck here forever or anything it just said he needed to leave with al's soul so you know that's uh that's also a good point for them yeah like it's it's a great confirmation of something that they wanted to believe in or they believed in it but kind of i i feel like in their hearts they might have had some doubt because every time they they came up to a point someone was telling them like it's not possible or your brother is not you wish you could bring your bodies back, but it's not possible. But now this is hard confirmation, solid stone that his body is there and it can come back because his body did say, I can't leave with someone else's soul. So his body or his, is that his soul or no, that's his body. Yeah, that's his, his body. So he could only body. leave with his own soul. So he couldn't leave with Ed. But it knows that, that it can leave. And what what's talking now that I'm thinking about it? What if his soul is in the armor and that's just a body? Can a body have thoughts without its soul? I don't know. This is existential now. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure. So I've read some things on the internet where people think that it was actually truth talking to Ed, but I don't know because, like, yeah, if if. If what is actually Al, his soul and his memories and his mind is attached to the suit of armor, then it's like, what is, all right, so so what is the uh, the thing that is talking to them sitting right there then? Because that's clearly not Al, that's just his body. So my guess is it's truth possessing his body maybe or something. I don't know. I don't want to poke holes in, your, in the theory, but when... Ed met Truth with his arm and leg, and Truth is like, you're not even going to try to get these back? That did not sound like a helpful person at all. It's like, I dare you to come try to take your body parts back. Well, he meets Al's body, who seems very helpful, being like, hey, I can't go with you because you're not my soul, but I can go with my soul. That's very helpful information. Exactly. I don't know. It's hard to say, because... Maybe we're think maybe the maybe the creators didn't really think that far into it, but yeah, maybe we're just thinking more than we should. But I, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm just poking holes in everything that shouldn't be poked. But it does, you know. We we are watching these episodes and kind of looking deeper into them. It does make me think: Is there something deeper into this, or are we going to find out something later? So I'm just curious about. Who is giving them this helpful information? I don't know. It, it also could very well be uh, be truth because it, it was semi-mocking because he didn't seem like I guess he seems kind of sad, but not all that sad about uh, about not being able to go like, you know, oh, you know, sorry, I can't go with you. I can only go with my own with my own soul. So it was semi semi-mocking. And in that sense, do you think it's only because Ed and Al um, transmutated at the same, like, 
it's because Ed put Al's body in there. So, I don't know because they were Al's body's in there because it the re uh, now I'm getting ricocheting of the transmutation mm-hmm. hitting him. And do you think that's why he could see Al's body in there? Because like we don't see teachers' organs just sitting there, or other people who have messed with it. Yeah, they kind of hint at it earlier in one of the previous episodes that because they did the transmutation t- together and they both like put their blood into the transmutation circle, that they are somehow bonded, and so that's why Al in Ed, that's why Ed could see Al's gate because. Presumably, now granted, we know the only other person who has done the gate is uh, is teacher, though I guess presumably some of the homunculi or whatnot did because they talk about how they opened the gate to create a, a philosopher's stone and whatnot. But yeah, presumably, like, they're, they're the only people who went through the gate, but we only see two gates, and there's probably more people. So yeah, maybe you only see gates of things you're connected to, and because he is bonded to Al, he's able to see Al's gate as well. I'm a little thankful for that because, I mean, we've seen the other side, like a gate where it's just the leftovers of people. Because inside Gluttony is just pool of blood and stuff, and I don't want that on the, in the other gate too. I, I like the contrast, so I'm glad we're not just seeing limbs and organs around that people are missing because of it. True, though we see with Ed's version of truth, he has Ed's leg and arm, so. Maybe it'd be the same thing. Like, if we saw another person's truth, like a Zoomies, that truth would have internal organs or something. I don't know. I'm also wondering if, because Al's body said, I know we repeated this like a hundred times, that I couldn't go with Ed's soul. But I wonder how fast it has to be. Like, does Al pop in and then he can grab his body and pop out? Because then why didn't Ed just like grab his limbs on his way out? I feel I I feel like there's more to taking your body back than just popping in and popping out. Yeah, I don't know. I think well, I think you have to open the gate and you have to pay the toll, and then once you're in, you can take the. My thought is once you're in, you can take whatever back with you. Um, my guess is that Ed Ed was only paying the toll to let them pass through the gate, not to take anything with them, because like he like Truth said. We have, Truth said you're not even trying to get your body back. He didn't say like, oh, you're not able to get your body back. He's just mocking Ed for not even making an attempt. Like, Ed is going through the gate. This would be the perfect opportunity for him to, for him to get his body back. But instead, he's just going through the gate to escape from Envy's stomach. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see, because I feel like eventually we're going to get to them being in there trying to get their bodies back. So I'm excited to see where that gets you. I mean, it might not happen. There might be a revelation of them having to sacrifice their bodies forever, but I do want to see how they get their bodies back. Cause we know that they're there. Yeah. Well, I'm guaranteed they're going to figure something out before the season, not the season, the series. And, but that's probably going to be something for like one of the later episodes because that's like the whole story is kind of revolved around them getting their bodies back. Like that's kind of the start of the entire series. So I feel like if it happens halfway through the series, then it kind of uh, it kind of closes that arc. And I feel like that would be an arc that they would have to close at the very end. 
Yeah. Yeah. But who I, knows? I yeah, we'll you. see. Well, now I'm going to jump to the beginning of the episode with them fighting Envy. And it's pretty cool seeing uh, Envy's true form with all the heads in there. And then it's not as cool when we find out who would like the actual story behind the heads. But I don't know. Has this happened before where, and I might not just be paying attention that closely where a little, it was kind of like a cold open. We had this cold open and then it cuts to the name of the episode. Does that happen every episode? And I'm just not realizing it. You know, honestly, this is the first time I'm thinking about it too. I think it happens in a few, but not all episodes. Some do like a cold open and then some just and kind of skip the uh, skip the theme song. Though I think most of the time, even if they do do a cold open, that they do have a theme song. But yeah, this time it just seemed like they went straight to it. So that was kind of different. I liked it a lot because it's them fighting and then I believe it's Envy eating Al and then it cuts to the, the like uh, name of the episode and then like the credit thing. And I was like, this is perfect because I'm on the edge of my seat right now. And then they just like stop the stop my motion and it just felt really good. Yes, indeed. And then just seeing Ed kind of give up was a little weird because he's so headstrong in, in other episodes and just in general. So seeing him just go like, yeah, this is it. I can't get out, which I guess makes sense that he would do that because they are, he already believes that there's no way out of this stomach area or whatever, this weird fake area between truth and reality. So maybe he already figures, okay, I'm stuck. And then clearly I can't beat him in a fight. So I guess, and then just the stress of hearing all those souls, he just kind of gives up. Yeah. It's, I feel, I understand why he gave up. It's, he's seeing all these souls and he's kind of seeing, it's like death after death, after death, after death for him. It kind of his whole journey has been people dying, which is intense. I mean, it starts off this whole thing starts with his mother's death, but I feel like there's no no breathing room for him. And just seeing Envy's body and they're begging to die. These kind of souls, the or we don't know that they're souls just yet, but they're heads, and they're begging mm-hmm. to be killed. And it just seems like Ed is tired of it all. Yeah, I think he's just overwhelmed by the whole nature of the situation. It's so interesting um, seeing it, seeing the Philosopher's Stone. And then later in the episode, we find out how it's made by, it. it's like the entire city of, was it Xerxes? Is this Philosopher's Stone? Uh-huh. Which is like, makes me think, is every Philosopher's Stone in the each homunculus a city's worth like how many people does it take to make one philosopher's stone is what i'm thinking yeah i think it takes as many as you're willing to make i think like you could in theory granted they don't i don't think they actually say but i guess in theory you could use one soul to make a philosopher's stone but presumably like souls are finite resources so the more souls you use the more energy the philosopher's stone has so it's like having one battery versus having a hundred batteries. So I think that's why the homunculi are able to regenerate themselves time after time after time. It's because they have 
a a significant amount of souls. So I don't know. That's my thought. Just it is. It's interesting. Um, seeing that envy gets a whole city's worth of stones or city's worth of stones. Oh, city's worth of people in his stone. I'm wondering what the others have in them. And we get to see Fuhrer Bradley become wrath in this. And I always thought they were created, but he was a baby and he grew up and then they made him up. I think he's the only one who was created that way because we hear the scientists say it's a new kind of human and stuff. So I think he is, and then they make a big deal about how he can age. So like uh, earlier in one of the episodes, Greed mentions how it was weird that he was a homunculi that can age, whereas the other ones don't. So my theory is that like the, that them trying to make a homunculi that way was unique versus other times they've tried to do it. And my guess is they wanted to do it that way so that the, the homunculi would seem more human. Because if, if they put a Fuhrer up there who never aged over the course of 40 years or whatnot, people would get suspicious. But getting a, somebody up there that looks like and behaves like a normal person uh, seemingly would then remove any kind of, um, I guess, um, suspicion, if you will. I mean, it is putting a, a deadline on when you want to accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish. Because if you do make a homunculi that can age, isn't eventually going to become an old person? And then people are going to be like, well, we don't want our fear to be a 90-year-old man. My guess is that whatever their plans are, it's going to end well before then. So like, I think they just need somebody to prop up the country. It. And seeing this scene where we do get to see baby Fear Bradley grow up, and it just makes me think, how deep does this really go? Because we saw last episode that it kind of went to this level, like these top officers in uh, the military. And now it's like maybe higher level officials because they were like, we're making the next Fuhrer right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely, and it was kind of alluded to in the previous episode. Definitely. There is like a whole, not hierarchy, but there's definitely like a whole like secret society, Illuminati type of thing that is running a mistress and the Fuhrer is really nothing more than a puppet. It's like, obviously, there's this whole government entity and this whole lab and everything that existed to create a Fuhrer. So there is people who were working, and, and presumably this father guy who is the creator of the Munculi is the person who is actually in control of everything. Yes, and uh, man, Al and Gluttony are on their way to meet father, which is super interesting. I know Al is in kind of a tight situation. Ed's inside gluttony and missing, and he needs to find a way to get him back. But do you trust gluttony? I think I do, because gluttony is kind of just childish. 
Like I don't, he doesn't seem like the type, like I don't even think he has the mental capacity to be honest, to, to scheme anything. I think he's, he's just so childish and he, I think he feels like, Oh, well, if I bring a sacrifice to father, father will be happy. So I, I don't think he's thinking much further than that. It's, I'm, it's tough to t- trust gluttony for, for me. And then, I mean, Scar also has the same suspicion because we do meet, we do see Scar and May this episode on their search for Sh- Xiao Mei, mm-hmm. the little panda, which is very interesting because they follow, they don't follow Al and Gluttony. They kind of stumble upon them, if I believe that's correct. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, so they were looking for them because they were trying to find Xiao Mei and then they they hear what Xiao Mei is with Al or well, with the suit of armor. So now they're trying to find the suit of armor, which they do find, but then they realize, Oh, he's with gluttony. And yeah, Scar does wonder like, what is he doing with that thing? Because clearly they are at odds with each other. It's not something that you would expect them to be in, be in line with. And then another great point happens when they, um, Al and Gluttony go into the tunnels and then May and Scar follow them and May gets is like do you feel that do you sense the energy and it makes me think do people from Xing have kind of a sixth sense of these kind of things because Ling also has almost this feeling thing where he can he moves with his feeling or the feeling he gets, or I don't know, a sense of energy. Yeah, I think sense. they're borrowing from actual Eastern philosophies and Eastern religions because we hear Fu mention something about the homunculi having a dark chi or something like that. So they're they're, they're following this idea of the uh, chi or the chi, which is like the inner the the life energy that every person has. Uh, so they're pointing out kind of, I think I think based on their religion and their their beliefs and everything and what we've seen with Alcastry, they're more attuned to the spiritual than Amestrians are. So that's how they're able to sense like the dark energy or what I think they're actually sensing, because May says she senses a bunch of people in pain. I think they're sensing the the souls in the Philosopher's Stone. So like normal, a normal person only has one soul, but then when they're around the monkey line and whatnot, they sense multiple soul. Hmm. But she also was like, when I first got to this, this country, I felt yeah. something off from it as well. So, I mean, we find out that Xerxes was pretty much sacrificed to make a stone from this mural. And we're getting the hint from, Ed putting all this stuff together that they're trying to do it to um, now I can't remember this, the name of this town. Uh, the original? Their, their hometown? No. We're, no, the oh, city Central. we're in right now. It's uh, yeah, or yeah. Well, yeah, they're trying to do it to Central as well. I wonder if there is kind of a setup going around. Remember in the very first episode, um, they the the alchemist was making these symbols all over the city 
Do you think something like that's being done? Yeah, I think so. That's kind of what they're hinting at is that they're trying to create a giant philosopher's stone. I wonder if May can sense it. Like if, yeah, if May steps in it, because she's basically stepping into, or anyone stepping into a, a, an a unfinished transmutation circle, basically, and maybe she can sense that what's being, what's almost there. Probably they're definitely able to sense something because we see pretty much only the Xingyi's people do it. So it's I think it's just their whole part of their. Uh, religious beliefs and whatnot that kind of gives them the ability to sense souls and life force. I also wonder if there's another reason they're there. I know that they both came to find this, the answer for eternal life or the, the way to have eternal life, but it seems very coincidental that they're there at this moment when everything's coming to a head. Like maybe they were sent there or they were sent something. I know May and Ling aren't working together that we know of, but it just feels coincidental that we have these people from Jing who can sense things that we can't sense. Yeah, maybe, or maybe it's just going to be useful later in the show just because they have the ability and having somebody who can sense the presence of, of uh, other homunculi. Would be a, would be an asset to them. And May is a great fighter. I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know if everyone from Jing is a great fighter, but May and Scar like teaming up down in the sewer was it, it was great. I agree one hundred percent. I loved that seeing them. And then they, like I said, they were outnumbered. And then we see all those bones around. So clearly, anybody else who was just unfortunate enough to wander down there was. Uh, was not so lucky so yeah just seeing all of that work out for them uh or the, how them were able to handle themselves was pretty awesome i'm wondering if we're gonna get a team up i feel like that's where we're heading i don't want to jump the gun but like i said last episode it feels like we're getting to the end of we're pulling a string and we're getting to the end of it but every time we get to the end of that string it's just like more slack being let go. Like we saw Al's body and I felt like we were almost at the end of the string. And then we see Al's body. I'm like, Whoa, there's another, another mile of string left. So I'm very excited to see where this takes me next. Yep. I am too. I guess we can just jump into the next episode, which like I mentioned, we will be doing it a little differently because of the nature of the episode, but yeah, let's just go ahead and do that. Unless you have something else on this one. No, I feel like we talked about everything in this episode. Re- watch it, guys. It's This is a really good yeah, one. Yeah, there's a lot of information that is dumped that like kind of gets you up to date on what's happening. So this next episode is the first episode of season three. Uh, episode 27 in our watching order. It's called Interlude Party. So this episode, nothing really new happens. It's more of a recap episode. Basically, Hohenheim is outside in the woods somewhere, and pretty much the entirety of the episode is either clips from previous episodes, or it's all happening in Hohenheim's head. And just to give a quick recap, Hohenheim is at this party in the woods, and he's talking to a younger Panaco. He's contemplating the folly of humans and whether or not they're worth saving. Hohenheim feels kind of defeated, since humans are weak, 
they should be used, or they will be used for part of Father's Greeter's plan. Uh, we flash back to all the times that human sacrifice was brought up in the show up to this point. Hohenheim acknowledges to Panaco that he has known for a while about what the homunculi are up to. And Panaco asks, well, why didn't you warn anybody? And, and Hohenheim says, would it have made a difference? Uh, you know, homunculi are really powerful. We flash back to all the times that they fought the homunculi and we see the ultimate spear, the ultimate eye, the ultimate shield, gluttony being able to consume things easily, envy's transmutation. So, you know, things that humans cannot stand up against really easily. And humans are naturally frail, fragile, and this causes them to be driven by fear and destructive. And so, you know, Hohenheim's wondering, what's the point? Even if I do warn them, there's no way they could stand up to the homunculi. But then they point out that the humans are persistent. So then we have a few flashbacks to scenes when the humans were able to stand up to the homunculi. So things like uh, Mustang killing Lust or Ed figuring out how to defeat Greed, things like that. <clears throat> and even when they, so even when they're pushed to the edge, they fight back. But then Hohenheim starts to question himself, like whether he's a good guy. Like even if he does help the humans, is it going to solve his sins or is it going to pay for these sins that we don't yet know about uh, apparently he has some kind of dark secret uh, but then we this episode ends with a vision of hohenheim's wife who points out that yes humans are weak but that's what makes them strong it forces them to grow it forces them to become better and then so we flash back to all the scenes where the where we see a lot of resilience in the people so ed digging up the uh the body to try to figure out the truth about about the the creature that they created and ed busting through the gate and all of the other stuff and this seems to be the turning point for hohenheim and then he remembers his life back in risen bowl and that that was worth fighting for so then he wakes up it turns out this was all just kind of a alcohol induced hallucination and the episode pretty much ends so yeah it was pretty much just recapping and going over hohenheim and kind of just the emotional struggle hohenheim was dealing with about whether he should help homunculi or humans so not too much new happened other than the fact that now we know that hohenheim was conflicted and that he is going he has decided to help humans because humans are resilient uh, anything to add on that before we go into our um, our favorite moments? Not much. It is. I'm glad that we got to see a lot of Hohenheim because um, we really haven't had any episodes kind of diving into who he is, really. And I, it's a little. It's a, It's better having a some more of his backstory flushed out, and we kind of get to see where he's coming from. So, but I mean, like you said, this was pretty short. I mean, it was a full length episode, but it was pretty short because it, it was a lot of flashback. Yeah, we didn't, nothing new happened. It just reflected back on previous episodes. So yeah, we thought, you know, since obviously we didn't want to skip the episode because there is a little bit to it on the plot uh, that's relevant. So in terms of Hohenheim learning the truth and everything, um... But yeah, he it's um ultimately we do we don't get much new information. So yeah, we just figure 
we'll talk about like maybe each of us go over maybe our two and three favorite moments up to this point. So you want to start with that, Jimmy? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Um, one of, I don't know if it's one of my favorite. It's not really a moment, but I want to say my favorite character and I want to pay tribute to him again is, is Hughes. Everyone knows I love Hughes a lot. And I just, I feel like this is a moment where pay tribute to him. I don't know if we're going to get any more Hughes flashbacks or not, but for a character that was with us for such a short time, he's left such a large impact. And I, I don't know. It's weird to be like, oh, a character in a, in an anime inspired me, but Hughes inspires me to be a better person and kind of enjoy life more. So it's not a moment, but Hughes is all his moments, except for his, him dying are my favorite moments. I can't really disagree there. Hughes definitely was a, you know, when he was alive, he was definitely like a very strong character and a very loving character and a good character. Um, So he was like the moral compass of the show in a lot of ways. And then even after he died, like his death triggers things moving forward and trying to then like, it feels like it, it's a catalyst that moved the story forward and really pushed everybody to try to find the truth. And also let everybody realize that there was something insidious going on. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, Hughes is is the best. I wish we had we were with him a little bit longer. Yeah, I agree. But I guess it had to happen in order to move things forward. One of my favorite parts is from the uh, Death of the Undying episode when just that whole... not Not even the part where... Mustang kills Lust, but the kind of a lead up to it when when Ed or not Ed, when Al finally has had enough with watching people die trying to protect him or trying to deal with him, and he kind of flashes back to Nina and he flashes back to the um the Chimera girl who got killed in his armor and just all these people who die because he wasn't able to protect him, or even like Hughes who died on his behalf. And so he decides, you know, I'm sick of running and I'm sick of letting people get hurt. And I, as long as I have the ability to protect people, I'm going to do it. And so even though his armor is being, you know, destroyed by lust, he's still standing up to protect Riza. And then, of course, out of nowhere, Mustang shows up and agrees and finishes lust off. So uh, I, that was always yeah. one of my favorite moments. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That was a great moment. I was just thinking about this isn't one of my favorite moments, but it's a moment that shocked me. And it shocks me every time I watch this anime. I don't know if you can guess it, but it is when Tucker transmutates Nina and their dog into a chimera. And we don't know it yet. And then they go inside the house and they meet this chimera. And I think us as an audience figures it out first before the brothers do. But every time I see that, my jaw hits the floor. I'm shocked. It never doesn't hit me. It's not a great moment, but it's a moment that I'm always going to remember. I agree. Because it's it's like the first time we show early. It's like, what, the third or fourth episode? 
And so we start to learn early in this series that it's going to go there. Like they are going to handle some very heavy topics. And we learn that first in this episode. I think if you're a Full Metal Alchemist fan, and I've been to a whole bunch of conventions, and I've met a whole bunch of Full Metal Alchemist fans, this is a moment where you could bring up this moment and people will know exactly what you're talking about. It's always kind of a very somber moment. If you say anything about Nina or um, her dad's name's Tucker, right? Uh, Shao Tucker, yeah. Yeah, Shao Tucker. If you kind of mention any of that or talk about chimeras, that moment comes up in people's heads and it sticks with you. Uh, And for something that happens in the very beginning of this anime, just to stick with people forever, it's it's not a great moment, but it's a moment that everyone remembers. I agree. That's, that's like one of the most defining moments of the series. That and the death of Hughes, I think, are those things you can mention to anybody and they know exactly what you're talking about when you mention Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other moments that come to mind for me. I love... I, I feel like I'm attached more to like characters like Barry the Butcher... It's really weird that I'm attached to that character because of he's like a serial killer, but him in the suit of armor, it it really grew on me when he kind of switched sides and was working with Mustang's crew. I agree. I also like one of my favorites of, has always been Ling, just because of the the depth of his or the, just the wide scale of his character. So when we first meet him, he's kind of a con artist a little bit because he pretends to be passed out and hungry and like i guess when we first meet him we assume okay yeah he's being legit but then we see him try to pull the same thing in central but then that winds up getting him arrested because he's a undocumented uh immigrant there and so it's like yeah this is kind of part of his thing and then he also runs he runs up the elric brothers bill and everything but then we learn that there's like more depth to him one he is an incredibly skilled fighter we see him go toe-to-toe with with uh wrath wrath isn't holding him back like wrath has no reason to keep him alive and he you know they they go toe to toe he's able to handle himself and yet he is also putting his people in front of him like he doesn't want to just ditch them and let them die in order to save himself he's always trying to find a way to protect them as well uh so you know we see this just this wide this this wide description of this guy's character. Yeah, Ling is definitely a character that's that's grown on me since we first met him. I loved him when we first met him because he was a lot of comic relief for us. And now I love him in current episodes because he's bringing us the action. He's bringing us like he's fighting. And in the last episode, he's pep talking people too. And he's trying to pump people up like, we need to get out of this. We can do this. He's definitely done a 180 from when we first met him. And I'm, he's, I'm loving him. He's part of team Elric brothers now. Exactly. I think that's, that's why he's always been one of my favorite characters is just because of how wide he is. Now, granted, I always like the Elric brothers too. I do like how steadfast they are and how resilient Ed is in terms of solving problems. Like when he was fighting, greed and he had to figure out how how to defeat greed this guy who has uh indestructible armor 
and how he was able to like find a solution or how he was able to figure out that, hey, maybe if we go through the gate, we can get out of this fake gate. Like he's just very, I always liked how intelligent he was and how he was able to use his brains to get out of his shoes. It's not like, you know, in a lot of other animes, it's like, oh, they, they believe in themselves and then all of a sudden they just get this magical power boost and they're able to solve it. And it's, you know, I mean, I get, I get the story they're trying to go with on that and like talk about how, oh, you know, if you just believe in yourself, things will work out. But at the same time, it's like not realistic because that's just like, where did they get the extra energy from and stuff like that. But then like here, the guys actually have to think and resolve to find ways to solve their problem. There is not a lot of deus ex machina or anything that just solve it for them. They have to like use their brain to figure it out. Yeah. And we've seen them fail too. It's not like every plan they have is a hundred percent success. We've seen them have to pivot or have to change what they're doing or, ask other people for help. It's uh, it's not like, you know, yeah, like you said, it's not like everything's coming up for them. It's, it's, it feels almost like we're living in that world and there are variables to what happens. Exactly. And that's why I like it. It's just, it's because it seems more realistic. I mean, yeah, we're still talking about like alchemy and these things that don't exist in real life as far as we know anyway. Um, but still, like, there's just a very human realism to it all. Yeah, and I know we're... Are we halfway through? I think uh, a little less than halfway, because there's five seasons. And so now we're at the start okay. of season three. So a little less than halfway, but yeah. I do want to say, up to this point, this anime does a great job of giving us characters. And there's, like, no throwaway characters in my mind. We have... Winry and like Ling who get full, almost full flushed out backstories throughout from when we're first meeting them. They're not the person we met in the first episode that they came in. They become full fledged characters now. Yes, they are like, everybody seems to serve a purpose. Even those like Cheska or whatnot, people who are barely in the show, they all seem to serve a larger purpose, which is nice. Yeah, it just it feels like every character I can become attached to, like Havoc and Hawkeye. Uh, just kind of maybe even those are like what supporting supporting characters. They're Mustang's crew, but when Havoc lost his legs, I really felt for him because he's like, I have to leave the military, and I really don't know what I'm going to do with my life now. Maybe I can answer the phone for my parents' business. It really, it really took a. I felt it in my heart, like this guy, this is what he wants to do and he can't do it anymore. And Hawkeye, just her uh, loyalty to Mustang kind of in and out of service. It just, she's a true friend, a true partner. Um, Maybe there's more there. I don't know, but these side characters are characters you can become attached to because they give them full stories. Yes. Yeah, they, they are, and they, they serve a purpose, even though they're there. They're not just fillers. Like, everything about this, this is why it's, like, my favorite anime, if not one of my favorite series, just because of how much depth there is in everybody, and everybody serves a purpose. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's it's so good. Yeah, and I, I hope people who are listening are watching the anime and not just uh, listening to us recap them, because this is... 
it's so good. And I know we dive deep into every episode and we're putting out our theories and, and what, what we think is going on and pointing out little clues and stuff out. But I, I feel like when we talk about, it, we're only scratching the surface of what the episode is. There's so much in each episode. I think I could talk about an episode for an hour or more. Yeah, we are just scratching the surface. Do not rely solely on our podcast to figure out everything about the show. Definitely watch it for yourself as well. Yeah, and just in this, like, I guess, because it's a recap episode, we're kind of almost halfway point. I just, there's so much going on. It just, I'm just ready for whatever's next. And this, they're doing such a great job of, telling me so many different stories like another another great moment is when the brothers are on the island when teacher leaves them on the island as kids yep yeah Um, like a really tough life lesson a way for them to learn yeah there's so many great moments like the more i sit the more i think and i'm just like man it feels like every episode has a great moment that i love in it yeah, and it's definitely like just a lot of the moral—not moral, but like uh, the philosophical thoughts that happen. Like just in this last episode, where he talks about you know whether or not uh, envy talks about whether or not it is moral to use the soul of something that no longer exists. So it's just yeah, there's a lot of philosophy in this too. Yeah, so I'm enjoying this so much. I know in the very beginning of this episode of this podcast, we talked about um, like binging shows or watching a lot like a TV. This is a show that I have to stop myself from binging. Every week we watch two episodes and then I got to stop myself Mm -hmm. from kind of finishing it all off because I want to keep it fresh for each podcast. But this is a great show to binge if you're wanting to do that. Yep, same here. Uh, I I want to just binge and keep going, but I always have to stop myself after episode two to uh to, yes. to so that I can make sure that I you know stay in line for the podcast. So yeah, it's a uh, it's great. Yeah, there's so many great moments. Hard to pick a few, but overall, Hughes is the best. I want to just end on that for me. I want more Hughes. Maybe we can petition a Hughes prequel. Maybe. I mean, it's what I think it's been, I don't know, almost a decade since the hot, since the manga finished. So maybe we can convince them to start a new one. Uh, would anybody interested in my Hughes fan fiction? Should I write some Hughes fan fiction? I support it. Okay. I'm. That's what I'm going to do over this Thanksgiving. Sweet. Give us a link to it on when we come back or <laughs> one of the future episodes then. I will. Hold me to it, everyone. Awesome. Well, that's all I have. How about you? Yep. Cool. Well, we thank you guys for joining us for the podcast. Uh, we're recording this before Thanksgiving, so uh, happy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this before Thanksgiving, even if you're listening to it after. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, as always, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. All right, bye-bye. Bye.